An airline pilot was flying over the mountains and he pointed out a lake to his co-pilot. He said, you see that little lake? He said, when I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat down there fishing. And he said, every time a plane would fly overhead, I'd look up and I'd wish that I was flying it. He said, now I look down and I wish I was in that rowboat fishing. I want to know if you can relate to that kind of process, the kind of process where you go after something thinking that it'll make you happy, only to get there and find out it didn't. And you actually might have been happier before you even started the pursuit. Why is it like that? And is there really a way to actually find joy? That is what we're going to talk about in this series. And I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you have chosen to be a part of it. We're going to do this for several weeks. I'm going to kind of set it up for you today, but I'm asking you to stick with us, all right? Because there is something so cool that God wants to show us. Today, we're going back to Philippians. Go back to Philippians. We've been in this little letter for a year-long journey. We started beginning of January. We've only got a small number of verses left in the letter which is good because we only got a small number of weeks left in the year, but we're going to get there, all right? So if Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 is where I want to start today. Look at what the Scripture has to say. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I greatly rejoice. And when he says that, we're, we're not surprised at all because we've heard that language from him over and over in this little letter. Paul lives in the key of joy. Have you noticed that? This man lives in the key of joy, and the reason is because he truly believes and lives the truth that he has been sharing with us in this letter. It is a truth that is anchored in his relationship with Jesus. And in this case, this joy, his happiness, is connected to the fact that the, the Philippians have shown concern to him. That's what he says. And we know it means generosity. They've been generous toward him. And we know this because a few verses later in verse 18, it reads like this, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. The Philippian believers helped Paul by sending him financial help. And they helped Paul by sending him 
Epaphroditus, and we've read about him earlier in this letter. Now, we know that there are times in Paul's ministry that he raised some funds on his own by doing what? Remember what Paul did? He made tents. He made tents. But that's a little hard to do when you're in prison. And I want you to understand that a Roman prison is not like an American prison. The Roman prison in that day did not mean that they put you in prison and then they basically supplied all the basic needs plus some that you have, right? We know that's how it works. Somebody's in prison, they're going to feed you, right? They're going to make sure you got what you need to wear. I mean, in Paul's day, that's not the way it worked. He needed food, and he was responsible for finding somebody to supply that food. And so when Epaphroditus comes, he is able to help with so many things, but including the very basic needs that Paul would have. So on this Thanksgiving weekend, all right, technically we're still there, we see Paul model this truth that, come on, a a mature, wise he, he, he genuinely feels and expresses a joy of thankfulness to those who have blessed him. I hope that somewhere in the last several days, that hopefully you've got a little time to breathe in the last few days, hopefully that most of you got a few days off and maybe you got to be with family. I, I hope that somewhere in the last few days that you made it intentional time that what you genuinely feel you are able to express in the joy of thankfulness that you have toward people in your life who have shown you favor and have blessed you. Because I want you to know, for those of us who follow Jesus, that's what the mature look like. That's what the wise look like. But it is also the case that when you have this wisdom that Paul models for us, you also are aware that when you speak, when you say something, the possibility exists that it could be misunderstood. The possibility exists that somebody might read misread what you're saying. Now, that should never stop you from expressing thanksgiving. But it does shape how you speak. And that's what we see happen with Paul in in this little text today, all right? People might think, look, if it's truth and I care, then I'm just going to say it. I'm saying if it's truth and you care, then you will care how you say it. You'll care. That's helpful for pastors. That's helpful for parents. That's helpful for anybody that leads or has influence. If it's truth and you care, then you will care how you say it. Therefore, we see some phrases that Paul uses. Go back to verse 10, right? I I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Anybody realize that if you're the Philippians and you heard that, 
you renewed your concern for me. That could almost sound like Paul saying, for a while there, you didn't have any concern for me. You ever dealt with that person in your life? You're like trying to show a compliment, and and so what you're saying is, you think I care now, but you think I didn't care back then. You think I've neglected you back then. We did the humble brag. I guess this would sort of be a backhanded compliment, right? Or they could interpret this little section as Paul expressing his gratitude for the gifts that, they've been, that he's been given and them going, oh, now he's grateful because he's got what? Money. Now he's grateful because we've given him what he's really all about. Paul knows those possibilities exist, and so he addresses them in the way that he speaks in the next several lines. This is so practical. I I, I just want us to recognize it today. Mature people not only express what is genuinely on their heart, but also discern how it might be heard. Man, we just can't move past that in what Paul is doing in this section. And listen, out of him caring and out of him discerning, he is about to lay out some of the most tremendous spiritual truths. But it it flows out of Paul caring about how they heard him. And man, God just blesses that tremendously. How do you become that person? How do you discern like how you might be misheard. How do, you, how do you speak to avoid misunderstanding? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but come on, you know that the more you're in God's word, right, that's where wisdom comes from, when God's word is flowing through you, and then you ask God for that discernment to, to care about other people more than you just care about yourself that you think about the circumstances and other people's lives and you listen to people. Like, when you talk to people, do you read? Do you read their body language? Do you read their tone? Yeah, you do when you care. I'm not talking about doing it to the point that it paralyzes you so that you never say anything to people. I'm just saying you need to say it, but, but you care. Paul can't see them but he knows people's tendencies. And so, when he says what he says here, he makes sure that he's clear. So look what he says next, right? You've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's saying, let's make this clear. I'm not saying you didn't care. You just didn't have an opportunity to express that. Now, before you think Paul's just passing over something and trying to just smooth things out, there's a principle here that I want you to get. And it's important as we move forward in understanding how God calls us to generosity. The principle I'm going to show you comes from another place that Paul writes. Um, This is to the church at Corinth. He is encouraging them, trying to get them to help in their giving to help some people who are in need. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So all, you already see they give and they have a desire. 
Let's keep reading. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. He's repeating that prison. You got a willingness and then you do it. According to your means. And then he makes this giant statement. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you wanted to, and then you did it, right? There's a readiness on the inside of you that you wanted to help, and then there became this evidence on the outside that you actually acted on that. But even... If you didn't have anything to give, like you wanted to help somebody, but you literally had nothing to give them. He says, do you understand that God counts that as a generous heart because he sees the willingness within you and just because you at that moment did not have something to help, it counts. Now this is kind of tricky for those of us who live in the culture in which we live. Because for most of the time, for most, and I'm not saying every time, for much of the time, if we don't have something to help somebody else, it's because we bought one too many toys for ourselves. Right? Most of the time. I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time. But he's saying even if the circumstance existed that you had nothing to help somebody else with, God's going... That's the heart I'm looking for because you, there is a genuine willingness that God is able to read in you. He knows that. In other words, here's the proof. When God calls you and I to be generous, he ain't after your money. He does not need your money. He owns it all. He's after your heart. And he knows that when you're, when you're displaying that generosity is the evidence for, for even your own heart that you are what you say you are. In that while, it's the proof that he's not after money. He's after your heart to the point that if you had no money but you genuinely were willing, he's going, that's my kid. Good job. So... Look at it again. He says, you were concerned. Paul says, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's saying up until now, you weren't, either they didn't have the resources or Epaphroditus could not bring it at that point. Paul's just clarifying here. I'm saying this is not me saying that you don't care. Let's be clear. But then he also knows the possibility exists that they think He's joyful because he's just in it about the money. Thus, it leads to a second most remarkable statement. Look at verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need. I want you to recognize how big of a statement that is. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm not saying this because I'm lacking something that has led to a frustration in me because I lack that thing and that needed to be met with your money in order for me to be happy. 
He's saying that's not it. He's saying, I'm not grateful right now because I had this need that made me unhappy, and now that you have given money, then now I have joy. He's saying, my joy over your gift is not flowing for my love for your gift. I was already happy. (laughs) I was already joyful. And then he drops the next statement for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I mean, for real, Paul? I have learned to be content. Paul, when you say whatever circumstances, what what do you mean? He's saying, I'm telling you, my joy is not dependent on your gifts. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. My happiness is not dependent on whether I have much or I'm in need. That's what he says. And he so wants us to get it that he says it three times. I mean, he repeats it, right? When I'm in need or I'm in plenty, I'm happy. When I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, I got joy. Whether I'm in plenty or in want, I'm telling you, there is a joy that is in me. My happiness is not dependent on my circumstances. Oh, y'all, what if he's right? What if he's right? What if this can be? How can this be, Paul? He says, I've learned something. I've learned something. I have learned, he says, the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some of you learned that verse growing up. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I say welcome to one of the, I'm going to call it most misused verses in Scripture. And here's why. Most of the time when people quote that verse, I can do all things, I can do all this through him who grows to be straight. I can do all things through Christ who should. You know when we typically use that? We use that when we want to win. (laughs) We use that when we want to abound. We use that when we want to gain. We use that when we want to successfully conquer something. We want to successfully overcome something. We want to achieve something. We always tend to use it that way. But when Paul says all this, I can do all this, I can do all things, 
He just told us three times. He's not just talking about times of plenty. He's also talking about times of less need. Tell me again where Paul's writing this letter from. Prison. Does that sound victorious? See, we would typically use this verse standing outside the prison where he's been preaching Jesus. He's been preaching Jesus, all right? They're going to throw him in prison because he aligns with Jesus, and, and we're going, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, which means I ain't going to prison. And he's going, no. In my times of greatest victory, he strengthens me. And in my times of greatest need, he strengthens me. I can do all things through him that strengthens me. Here's what he said. I can be happy in prison through him that strengthens me. I bet you've never seen that on a coffee mug. I can be happy in prison even though I have been wrongfully put here because I'm I'm here because I'm preaching Jesus. I can be happy. I can have joy in prison through him that strengthens me. That's the context. Because Paul has learned, he says, the secret. The secret. Which is the title for this talk series and through which we're asking God, will you teach us the secret? See, most people are fishing, wishing they could fly the plane. They get to fly the plane and realize they would have been happier fishing. A constant searching, right, for the next. A a constant searching, if I had this, then I could be happy. If, If I had this, then I could be joyful. And Paul's like, man, when I'm in need, there's joy. And when I am in plenty, which might be even a greater miracle, there's joy. You've seen people with a lot of stuff. Sometimes people with a lot of stuff are the most miserable people on the planet. You know why? Because sometimes they've come to this point of going, I I thought this would do it, and I thought this would do it, and they just accumulate more and more and more, and they finally get to this place, and they go, I've got everything that I could have imagined, and I still feel like I have nothing. And Paul's like, whether in need or in plenty, I know the secret sauce. That's the secret sauce. I want to show you, just real quick, those three verses put together to just help us today start to go, okay, I can see it. And then next week, we're going to go, okay, help us know more what to do with this. But let me show you. Here's what he says in verse 12. I've learned the secret of being content in in every situation. All right? I've learned the secret. Then he gets to verse 13, and he says, I can do all this through him, that's Jesus, through Christ who gives me strength, all right? So he's, he's making it clear. H- how is this possible? The secret sauce means through Jesus. It has to be through Jesus, 
right? He, he, he can do this whether I'm in need or I'm in plenty, but it's only possible through Jesus. But then he says back in verse 11, I have learned to be content. So I was like, okay, Paul, is it, is it through Jesus or is it because you learn to be content? Let me give you just a little word info here. The word content that we're playing with here, that Paul's giving us here, the Greek word, there's two parts to it. If you could look at the letters, the first part you would recognize almost the word auto, as in automatic, as in self Self-running is kind of the, the meaning of it. Um, the second word is archase, as in, like, let's say, archangel, as in ruling. So if you put those words together, the word content means self-rule. Self-rule. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very Christian to me. Like, that's not normally how I, we, we wouldn't... That sounds like a worldly approach. That sounds like, how do you get through this? Well, you, you got to learn to self-rule. You, you, you got to learn when you're in those, those struggling circumstances that you just got to think positive and you got to learn how to pull yourself up, right? You can do this self-rule. And I'm telling you, that's exactly the word that Paul uses here. This was a word that the Greek philosophers of his day would have used on a regular basis. And this is what they would communicate to people. You've got to learn to self-rule. You've got to learn this contentment. And you know what Paul does? He turns it on its head. And he uses a word from their culture, a word from their day, a word that the philosophers would have preached, right, to say, you can do it, you're strong enough, right? You, you just got to self-rule. And Paul says, you're right, you got to self-rule, but you only see that happen through Jesus. You only see it happen through Jesus. I can do it all through Jesus, meaning I am not independent. I am not self-sufficient. We have learned it this way before, and so I just kind of wanted to bring it back because for me it helps me put this in perspective. It is Jesus that creates the miracle. I act that miracle. Jesus does the supernatural. It's only through Jesus that something like contentment can be so in my life, but he calls me to act on that miraculous that he is doing. You see this other places in the Bible. It is consistent. You got, okay, the fruit of the Spirit. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit, and, and, and we get this list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Self-control? I thought you said it was the fruit of the Spirit. And now we're going to throw in Self-control, and I'm telling you, Paul does the same thing there that he does in our text today. He uses another word of his culture to go, hey, this is a common word in what you hear. I'm telling you, that can only be successful in Jesus by the Spirit. It, that can only happen. It's a secret. It's my effort only through Jesus. Jesus his strength and his grace alone. 
And with Paul's words in Corinthians, one time Paul says, right, I worked harder than any of them. Remember that? He says, I worked harder than any of them. And then he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God. There's a work within me. In Peter, Peter says, whoever serves, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. All through Jesus, I learned contentment. I learned this self-rule. It's all Jesus, but he expects you to get out of bed. (laughs) It's all Jesus, but he expects you to open that precious, most amazing gift of his word that he has delivered to you and read it and take it in. It's all Jesus, but he calls you to pray. It's all Jesus, and he calls you to fight sin. He creates the miracle that those things can be real, but he calls you to act the miracle. Next week, God willing, I'm hoping to show you more of how do we actually walk this out in need and in plenty. But today, I'm going to be content to stop here. And I'm simply going to end with this question. What if this is the secret sauce? What if this is the secret sauce? That seriously, no matter what circumstance of life you are in, there could be joy. Not because you're faking it because it's real. I thought it was a funny way to think about it this last week. You remember Abraham's story way back early, early uh, part of scripture. Abraham leaves a place called Ur, right? Funny name, Ur. He leaves Ur. I I realize what I'm doing here, but it kind of cracked me up this week. It's like God called Abraham out of Ur. It seems like most all of us are trying to get back to Ur. Because I could, I could be happy if I was just a little rich Ur. I think I could. I think I could be happy if I was a little skinny Ur. A little smart Ur. I had a job that was better, right? A car that was nicer, a house that was bigger. I mean, come on, it is the game our culture plays. Then I'd be happy. The Bible says that God has called you according to his purpose. You realize what an amazing statement that is? God has called you according to his purpose. What if you are missing God's purpose for your life because you are chasing a culture of Ur that is nothing more than a myth? What if Paul's right? What if this is the secret sauce?
May God give us eyes to see. May he give us hearts to believe. And may he give us feet to follow. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a little more. I'll be over there. If you need prayer today, for whatever reason, we'd be honored. Pray for you. Honored to encourage in whatever way we can. I'll pray. We'll sing. God, I am. I'm afraid that what we're wrestling with here today is not just something that we can um, chalk up to the outside world, a world outside the church where we watch a culture that is constantly um, grasping for this, for that, the next thing, searching for joy. But God, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes, God, that, that exists even within your own family where we suddenly find our, our heart pulled a direction that um, somehow we lose sight. And we just think if we had more of something else, then that would bring us joy. If we had more of something else, that would make us happy. I'm asking you to bring us back to truth. To truth and the beauty of who Jesus is. I thank you for taking us to this text. I thank you for what you're doing today and what you're going to do in the weeks that follow. God, we're asking you to do some powerful stuff in our hearts. God, there may be some tough things we need to look at. There may be some things that we need to, to change, some things we need to take an about face on. God, I'm asking that you would give us truly, God, eyes to see how good you are, eyes to see who Jesus is. God, I'm asking that what we're reading would not just be words on the page. But suddenly, we would experience the secret sauce in our lives that no matter our circumstances, we get to be people of joy. God, as you speak, help us to hear. We love you. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus.